1: On the program tonight, all hate is not the same. The dangerous game played on America's college campuses and at the White House.
2: We have to reject
1: hate in every form. Equating true evil with the right to self-defense airing their dirty laundry.
3: Jim Jordan is
4: strategic, scrappy, tough, and principled.
1: Once again, Republicans fight amongst themselves about the House Speaker. The Speaker has not been elected. While Democrats pop popcorn. How Republican bullying backfired. I think some of the pressure
2: campaigns have backfired.
1: And first to fight. The The Marine Corps is the only branch meeting its recruiting goals, but that isn't enough for some. The new accusations against the Marines. Welcome to The Ferris Show on television. We start tonight with breaking news. President Biden is in the air to Israel, but his plan to bring the full weight of American diplomacy to bear on the situation is falling apart literally before Air Force One even left the tarmac. Much of the trip, much of his reasons for going are no more. Four years in the Middle East taught me there are no such thing as coincidences. Mr. Biden's trip comes just as Hamas has made new offers to release the hostages if only the Israeli bombing stops. Hamas is now setting up to play the victim and the worldwide media will certainly Play along. Today, Hamas claimed without evidence that Israel bombed a hospital and killed 500. In reality, and new video evidence points to the fact that an Islamic Jihad rocket aimed at Israel came up short and hit the hospital, then set off secondary explosions of Hamas weapon stockpiles that they had put inside their own hospital. Never mind, there are now protests across the Middle East and Hezbollah is calling for a day of rage unlike anything else tomorrow. In a moral sense, of course, the truth matters, and Israel's explanation of a failed terrorist missile launch makes a lot more sense than Hamas's accusations that on the eve of the American president visiting Israel, Israel bombed a hospital. The idea of that is stupid on its face. Amid all the finger-pointing, meetings scheduled with the leader of Jordan and the president of the Palestinian Authority were just canceled by them. The president of Jordan, the president of the Palestinian Authority, and the president of Egypt all told the president of the United States, no thanks, we don't want to meet. That's stunning. You could even say that's pretty embarrassing for the United States. The facts won't matter. In fact, what's happened makes things even more dangerous and President Biden perhaps even more desperate to appear relevant. Mixed with Mr. Biden's promises of support to Israel will be demands on the Israelis and an attempt to stop their ground invasion. Give diplomacy a chance, he will say. There are civilians dying. Of course, Mr. Biden wants to play peacemaker. He hates Benjamin Netanyahu. That would be an understatement. And can't yet give up on his vision of a rapprochement with Iran. We'll explain all of that a little later. And we'll get into the real reason for Mr. Biden's trip as well. But on point tonight, a larger sense here. Despite what President Biden wants you to believe, all hate and what we have seen over the past 10 days is about hate. All hate is not the same. A few hours before he left. He attempted to whitewash what happened in southern Israel 10 days ago. History has taught us, the president said on social media again and again, that anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and all hate are connected. That might be true in an academic sense. It is not true in a practical sense. The targeting of Jews goes back 3,000 years, long before Islam even existed. Last week, we showed you the images of Hamas attacks and Nazi atrocities side by side. But for one being in black and white, you wouldn't know the difference. But there is a reason the left, especially President Biden, is now trying to equate Islamophobia with anti-Semitism because once everything's the same, then you can lecture everybody. There is no right and wrong. There is no good versus evil. Rather than deal with the celebrations of Hamas's attack across America, rather than face anti-Semitics in Congress, suddenly we must all become more accepting. Rather than upset about what a Cornell professor said, it was exhilarating!
4: No. It was exhilarating! It was energetic! Hmm.
1: The le- left would love nothing more than equating the stabbing of a young Muslim boy in Chicago with the organized terror of Hamas. All killing is bad, unquestionably. But conflating the two events is absurd. Think about this, a group of rabbis attended the funeral for the six-year-old Palestinian boy who was murdered by his landlord, it was terrible. The rabbis came out to condemn it. Evidently, we all miss the imams who visited synagogue this Saturday to pray for the dead in Israel and condemn their Muslim brothers. Haven't heard about that. One dead Muslim is a hate crime, here's the man who allegedly did it. The FBI's investigating the man believed to be responsible and rabbis come to the funeral. And news reports go crazy about an uptick in threats to both Jews and Muslims, it is all the same. There were more than a thousand dead Jews in a coordinated invasion by a group dedicated to the destruction of Israel. It was the worst Holocaust since the Holocaust, the worst one day killing of Jews since the Holocaust. The streets are filled with celebration and Israel is told it must show restraint. This is how we got to the Holocaust. This is the response to say Kristallnacht in Nazi Germany. We know anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are different because Hamas says so. The preamble of Hamas's charter, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. This is what Israel is up against. This is what Jews around the world are up against. Because Hamas doesn't want to just obliterate Jews from Israel, they want to obliterate Jews worldwide. There are no well-armed, and well-funded groups calling for the eradication of Muslims. But there are entire countries dedicated to the elimination of Jews. When ISIS came on the stage, nobody both-sided that debate. Nobody said that the United States needed to show restraint when they were beheading American hostages. America, among others, bombed ISIS back to the Stone Age and inflicted significant civilian collateral damage. We all understood it was a battle between good and evil. But for some reason, when Israel is under attack, when Jews are threatened, well then, all hate is the same. We bring in our panel Baccia Unger-Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek, Zach Kessel, William F. Buckley, junior fellow in political journalism who writes for The National Review. Nice to see you both. Uh, Baccia, I want to start with you in a larger sense here. What do you make of this desire to make all hate the same?
4: The moral equivalency that we have seen from the left since the heinous attack on Israel has been ceaseless, and it is absolutely appalling. Leland, I can't tell you the relief I hear just hearing you lay it out, because there is so much denial about this in the mainstream media. They want you to accept that the people who set babies on fire while they were alive are morally equivalent to the people trying to stop it from happening again. And last night on CNN, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was asked four times what Israel should do to defend itself from Hamas doing this again. And she had no answer except to call for a ceasefire. When they ask for moral equivalence, they are asking you to relinquish your humanity and to believe that atrocities and trying to stop atrocities are the same thing.
1: Yeah, Zach, we've seen sort of one step further, right, on American college campuses, which is the celebration of Hamas, the celebration of these atrocities. You and I both went to Northwestern. I think we probably have similar feelings about the the stand our alma mater has taken. Uh, The university does not speak for our faculty, students, and staff on these matters. They have their own voices. I would venture to say there are no doubt differences among our students and faculty on what Hamas did and how Israel is responding. Uh, as opposed to what Northwestern had to say about Ukraine, the presidents of the U7 plus alliance member universities, whatever those are, stand in solidarity with Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, Ukrainian universities, and with all those who are affected by violence currently perpetrated by the Russian government. Why, when it comes to Jews, is it so much harder, Zach?
3: Well, you know, I've been looking at these college campuses the past week and a half. People have been sending me statements from student groups and... I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that university administrators are afraid of their left flank. I think that's why the aptly named Michael Schill, president of Northwestern University, refused to offer an institutional stance on whether the massacre of civilians is, in fact, bad. Now, that's at the same time as student groups on Northwestern's campus have celebrated the slaughter of Jews, including The horribly named Northwestern Student Organization for Human Rights, believe it or not. Uh, And you're absolutely right. This is a university that has issued statements on everything, right? And if you look at Michael Schill's tenure as president of the University of Oregon before he came to Northwestern, he issued statements on the Dobbs decision, for instance, which has absolutely nothing to do with the university's Mm -hmm. mandate. But when a university president, right, sees yeah. people on his campus cheering the slaughter of Jews, he refuses to condemn it.
1: Now, well, it may have something to do with where his money comes from, because they do have a campus on Qatar, in Qatar um, as well. But what I think is interesting, and I think it's important to call out um, and to, to note, is this isn't just a problem on the left. Uh, we're seeing now uh, Turning Points USA, the the Charlie Kirk group, and others who are flirting with this very same thing on the right, this very same thing of uh, Israel, Israel as the aggressor in this. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out um, how this stops. We, we know it's a problem. We've all been told you got to talk about it, so it is never again. But now people are talking about it happening again, and it's not stopping. How does it stop?
4: Gosh, Leland, I wish I knew the answer to that. I I think a huge part of it is we live in a culture that worships youth and the young. I mean, it's not just that these administrators on college campuses are afraid of their left flank, like you pointed out, Leland. Um, A college education has become a luxury product. It has become corporatized, and the consumer of that luxury product is the student. And, of course, the consumer is always right in America, right? So there is this sort of economic uh, piece of the puzzle behind it as well and the fact that our economy has told young people of privilege that the only way to succeed is to get a college degree and that therefore they have earned their success and so they have mistaken their privilege for virtue which makes them unable to tell right from wrong uh, in in larger circumstances, geopolitical circumstances I think that's a big piece of the puzzle as to how we fix that, we have to have a more equitable society, not in the way that the wokes mean, but in a more economic We have to empower average Americans who know that this is bunk and can tell right from wrong and know who are the good guys in this, who are the victims, and who are the monsters.
1: Yeah, I I would think back to what I learned at Northwestern from Steve Hayes in the history of the Holocaust, uh, the professor there. Uh, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Uh, And I applaud both of you for being willing to talk about this. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Israel's stalled invasion raises questions of whether revenge or rescue. And this is an important debate, is most important for not only the Israeli government, but for the Israeli people. Hamas is believed to have at least 200 hostages from 30 different countries, including a number from Asian countries who are not Jewish. Many are young children, elderly, young people who attended a music festival. All of them are innocent civilians, and their families asked literally begged for help that we have to be honest about, might never come.
5: I can see she was shot in her shoulder. I see she has an operation. She looks very terrified. She looks like she's in big pain. I'm begging the world to bring my baby back home. My aunt suffers from Parkinson's disease. She's 63 every day without her medication. is torture.
1: Nicole Zedek is here. She's a reporter for Israeli 24 News in English. She's in Tel Aviv where families of the hostages spoke earlier. Nicole, has sort of the mood of the country changed from shock to anger? And is that anger now manifesting itself as revenge on Hamas, or is the focus shifting towards the hostages?
6: I think that's what everyone is asking for. And the shock and heartache is absolutely still here, and you can feel that throughout Israel. But there is so much anger as well, especially as we do go into nearly a week and a half since the initial attack. And since we know at least 199 people were taken hostage, ripped out of their communities in these in southern Israel or are now currently being held in the Gaza Strip. And so this is a major, major concern for the families uh, of these loved ones. You can see them pictured here behind me. These faces are plastered all throughout Israel, all throughout Tel Aviv, because the families of those who are taken hostage want to send a clear message to the israeli government that they should be doing everything they can that these families these faces behind me should be their priority number one when it comes to everything that is happening in the gaza strip and many families are concerned that that's not the main priority that getting all of these hostages as i said nearly 200 confirmed speculation that it could be much more than that 250 let's say uh many people are concerned that as the state of Israel also says, their priority number one is completely eliminating Hamas and kind of rechanging how the Gaza Strip looks and operates, that some of these hostages could be collateral damage when it comes to that.
1: Right, and that, that is the balance. Uh, and we, we know that Israel in the past has paid uh, heavy prices, high prices for hostages, A uh, 1,000 Palestinians for one Israeli soldier, Galad Shalit. That exchange happened when I was when I was there, uh, this would be the question. Um, Hamas is now saying through Western media channels that, uh, that there's room for negotiation, that even they would be willing to release all the hostages if just the bombing stopped for an hour. Um, you, you typically know Hamas is lying when their lips are moving. That's just how they do things and the, the way they negotiate. But I'm wondering how those offers are being received, not so much by the families, because they are obviously paralyzed in, in so many ways, but by the government of Israel. Is, is there a thought that there could be good faith negotiations?
6: The Israeli government is very, very tight-lipped, and it's very, very unlikely that they are going to release some Palestinian uh, uh, inmates who are currently being held in Israel, thousands of Palestinian inmates. And that's what Hamas wants to be released in exchange for many of these hostages. However, like you said, what we saw a few years ago, now many of those Palestinian uh, inmates that were released are the same ones who now attacked Israel. And so now the likelihood <laughs> of a prisoner exchange is very unlikely because, as I stated, the state of Israel's number one priority is eliminating Hamas. And so by releasing prisoners to go back right. and join this terrorist organization, it doesn't seem to be helping their interest.
1: Yeah, I interviewed uh, somebody who had been released in the 2012 exchange, and they talked about wanting to, to get back in the fight to become a suicide bomber. Uh, Nicole. The the ground invasion was thought to have been planned for over the weekend. It's been delayed. It's been delayed. Hard to imagine it's going to be launched while President Biden is either in the air or on the ground. Is there any feeling in Israel that Prime Minister Netanyahu and the military that was so strident and so clear and so aggressive in their language about eliminating Hamas uh, is now getting cold feet? That is not the feeling from what I'm
6: seeing on the ground here in Israel. In fact, everyone says that it keeps waiting, even if it is being delayed. It is the sense and there's a general consensus that all of the citizens do want. Israel to go in in this round invasion and completely eliminate Hamas.
1: All right, Nicole, thank you very much. I know you'll be there for President Biden's visit tomorrow and the fallout uh, from that as well. He'll be on the ground for a couple of hours. Nicole, thank you. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Republicans never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. How bullying during the speaker's fight backfired.
7: That's not going to work. Uh, he should have never got, uh, gotten us uh, there and shows the divisions within the party.
1: And mainstream media outlets love to preach about America's core democratic values until it no longer fits their narrative. Imagine asking a Minuteman if he was concerned about too many redcoats dying. See you in a minute.
3: The too many civilians are now dying. Too many Palestinians are already dying. We're in a full war here. And the responsibility isn't on us. You should take that question straight back to Hamas.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: To borrow a phrase, Republicans never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. They still don't have a Speaker of the House and are now arm-twisting to rally support behind firebrand conservative Jim Jordan. Jordan ended up with a lot fewer votes than anybody thought he would during the one vote today. They've canceled votes for later tonight. Turns out members of Congress, Republicans specifically, do not like it when other Republicans bully them.
0: Some were anonymously telling sources that they were getting bullied into vote. Was any of that a turnoff for some of these members?
2: I believe it was. I've talked to a couple of members where they they felt that that's just not what they needed. And I think some of the pressure campaigns have backfired. They have not
1: worked. Lauren Wright is here, associate research scholar and lecturer at Princeton University. It's good to see you. Welcome hey, back. Hey, thank Welcome you, back especially in studio. Um, does this really all matter, how dysfunctional yes, Republicans appear? of course
8: it does. I mean, it matters politically, which is, I'm sure, what we spend most of our time talking about. But practically, I mean, committees can vote. Uh, but if they bring legislation forward, they can't even bring it to yeah, the floor. It's not,
1: like the, it's not like the House really was doing much anyway. That's the
8: problem. It's the problem that people think that the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives is impotent. They are not. They have immense
1: powers. You you study this stuff. And Republicans talk to me about this all the time. And and senior Republicans lamented all the time to me that Nancy Pelosi had the same thin margin and never had this problem. And yet Republicans, literally, it is a clown show.
8: And they called it with Pelosi the iron fist and the Gucci glove. And she really did exercise her control, not out in public bashing each other. She had plenty of contentious back and forth with the squad. It happened behind closed doors. And essentially her message was, if you want to actually make progress on legislation, you better work with us because tweeting and talking about it is not the same thing. She called the Green New Deal the Green Dream or whatever. That was her phrasing. And she did. Exercise control over
1: the squad. She, well, she had, she had carrots and she had sticks, and she was willing to use both, perhaps uh, in a way. I want to get this. Yep. President President Trump this morning got behind Jim Jordan. Then Jordan lost the first straw poll, you right. might call it, inside among among Republicans in a secret ballot. Now Jordan is about to go up for a vote today, and this is what Donald Trump said. Take a listen. Okay.
9: I think Jim Stewart will be a great speaker, I think he'll be, uh, I think he's going to have the vote soon, if not today, over the next day or two, and I
1: think he'll end up being a great speaker. Reasonable people can agree Donald Trump's going to be the nominee of the Republican Party right now, he's 50 plus points ahead of anybody else. Mm-hmm. How does his endorsement not matter more?
8: Well, because the other Republicans have to vote for this. I mean, people were surprised that there were 20 holdouts today. I wasn't. There are 18 Republicans that serve in districts Joe Biden won. This is a huge problem for them. And they don't necessarily care what Trump thinks. And I'm sure he does love Jim Jordan. They talked twice on January 6th. He was a central architect, talked to Giuliani about using the claim of fraud to challenge the election results. So, yes, this is someone in a Trumpian orbit. But I would just go back to the fact that, you know, it is important to move legislation to the floor. Aid to Israel is extraordinarily important. Uh, We fund about 16 percent of their military budget. They depend on us. We depend on them. And the Democrats have a situation right now where for the first time in March since Gallup's been measuring this since 2023, net support for Palestine among Democrats surpass that of Israel. This is an issue among Democrats. You have members of the Democratic coalition, members of the party that say Israel's a racist state. That's straight out of the Soviet playbook from the mid 20th century. I mean, these are things Republicans typically can be proud of and they can point to the other party where there's yeah. problems. There's inane people in the Republican Party too. But this is really a time where we have a major challenge internationally. Republicans are strong on that issue and they're not and able to point at Democrats because they they're so can capitalize on
1: it. Exactly. Yeah. Good to see you as always. God, thank, thank you very much. We saw a massive rush to judgment today by the American media and also by Democrats in Congress about Hamas's claims of an Israeli airstrike on a Gazan hospital killing hundreds. The Palestinian health ministry says the Baptist hospital in Gaza City, that's the northern half of Gaza, has taken a
2: direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. This is always a very difficult situation because right now we have reports of Hundreds killed, and there's no reason to doubt that. Hard to see
1: what else this could be, really, given the size of the explosion, other than an israeli s
4: People just got massacred in a hospital, and the crime is documented on the screens. What are the leaders waiting for?
1: Within hours, the Israelis presented pretty conclusive evidence, and the circumstances back it up. That it was a failed Palestinian Islamic jihad rocket that fell on the hospital and exploded weapons that Hamas had stashed in the hospital. Colby Hall is here, News Nation contributor, mediaite co-founder. The line that struck me the most was: we have no reason to doubt. Your job as a journalist is to doubt, especially when it's a terrorist organization that just killed a thousand people.
9: Right. to be fair, he said no reason to doubt the number of deaths, but he certainly lent some credibility to the initial reports that it was an Israeli uh, and he even pressed an Israeli official about that acting as though it were true. Um, And, you know, this is a perfect example of reporting versus propaganda and the very sort of real issue of the fog of war. There's a rush to get the story out so, so quickly that very often If you get ahead of it and it doesn't turn to be true, you you really sort of break the rules of journalism in a way that it's really, really hard to get back.
1: As if the rules of journalism still exist. Uh, We try to have them here, but I I won't cast judgment. This is what is interesting to me, Colby, is that during... Trump, the Trump administration, the rules of journalism changed, right? Uh, you had to call out lies. Lies must be labeled. There was no both sides. Uh, BLM, you had to have moral clarity. Um, cancel culture, you had to have moral clarity. Silence was violence. Ukraine, if you dared ask questions about Ukraine, well, then you were a Putin pu- puppet. Uh, so moral clarity was incredibly important. Until it comes to the issue of Israel, and I I keep coming back to this, why is it different with Israel?
9: It's a great question, and I wish I had a good answer. I would say the issues that you just listed were sort of brand new, whether it was the racial reckoning that came about after the killing of George Floyd or the election of Donald Trump, this guy who flouted decorum at every turn. Um, These were all brand new stories, and so therefore it was very easy to sort of plant your flag on what side you wanted to take. The Israeli Hamas war is so fraught with peril. Every single thing anyone says about it, it's almost immediately interpreted in a way that's almost not intended. And so I'm always very, I don't know, I'm not on the ground there. All I can do is judge the reports that I know to be true. But you're right, and your previous guest said it wonderfully. There's a shifting narrative now, especially with young youth, as Paul suggests. Where people are, are are no longer buying sort of the the traditional American allied uh, Israeli take, and I think you're seeing journalists yeah. reflect that. I think they're they're shifting, and it's not moral clarity they're putting forth. It's 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 you know it's judging the win. It's putting their finger in the air and saying, "Here's yeah. who here's what I want to yeah. appeal to," and that's that's not the way you're supposed to do it.
1: Yeah, hey, we're watching video of Amman, Jordan, where there's already protests. Reports of. Uh, marches on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. The, the words matter um, and the ability to inflame people really matter. And uh, the sure responsibility do. just sort of blows my mind that it's not there. I know uh, Dan Abrams uh, is going to have a lot more on this tonight, his show, uh, in about an hour and a half. Colby, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up, the Washington Post takes on the Marine Corps for a lack of diversity. What will those critics tell the 2000 Marines sailing towards Israel? Should they turn around because they're not diverse enough? Plus, the real reason for President Biden's visit to Israel and why there is far more at stake than just war in the Middle East.
10: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?
1: President Biden headed off to Israel without answering any questions, ostensibly to show support for Israel, maybe. But there's another far more important reason. The war in Israel threatens his entire foreign policy worldview. He knows that could threaten his presidency. He saw it happen to Jimmy Carter because of Iran. Mr. Biden knows it can happen to him, too. Mr. Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan two years ago was supposed to set the stage for a pivot from the Middle East to China. Now there are, count them, two carrier battle groups in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Mr. Biden is visiting Israel to try and stop a larger war. The pivot away from the Middle East did not work. In the end, it took less than 30 months for American weapons left behind in Afghanistan to likely make their way through Iran to Hamas. And we are now providing weapons for Israel to fight against Hamas that now has American weapons. The next 72 hours could determine President Biden's political future domestically, not to mention whether or not the United States goes to war with Iran, which looks like an increasingly likely possibility. George Will is here, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist, News Nation senior contributor. Uh, George, you were even surprised by how, how fast-breaking this story is, past hour or so. The King of Jordan, the President of Egypt, and the uh, President of the Palestinian Authority all tell the President of the United States no thanks.
7: I don't know whether to be scared or embarrassed be scared and embarrassed, because this is a real sign that the, the, the United States writ doesn't run very far in the Middle East right now. Obviously, those three gentlemen worked this out together. They wouldn't have done this uh, separately. So what we now have is the, uh, the president seeming to be almost a mendicant, trying to get, a, get people's attention over there. And that is not good for him, but more important, it's not good for the United States. Do we really
1: understand, and I look, you have the historical perspective, I brought up Jimmy Carter uh, and the Iranian hostage crisis, the takeover by the embassy in Iran. We've now got protests outside U.S. embassies in Beirut, in Amman, in Turkey. Uh, this feels more combustible than I think anybody expected it to be.
7: This does have the feeling of 1979. That is the the year that the hostages were taken, and it overshadowed the entire 1980 and the presidential campaign. And what that happened, what happened to Jimmy Carter, was people felt things are spinning out of control, that the United States doesn't have a grip, and it's this sense of of combined with the southern border, the more and more Americans think we don't have sure solid governance. That's what did in Jimmy Carter.
1: It's not exactly like Republicans are covering themselves in glory. We we, we covered that a little bit earlier. But sticking on this issue of of President Biden going to the Middle East, he has banked on this rapprochement with Iran. Uh, One of the ways to try to put the Middle East back together, at least in the short term, would be to try and either pressure and or force, right, Uh, the Israelis to have either a ceasefire or a cessation of hostilities or a pause or whatever you want to call it. I I feel as though the lack of U.S. respect by the Arabs only makes the Israelis feel more alone.
7: Remember, Israel was founded in 1948, three years after the end of the Holocaust, to make one principle clear, which is we will never again depend on others for our security. So they're not depending on the United States. They, they want the United States aid, they want the diplomatic aid, they want the artillery shells and all the rest, but Israel can defend itself. What the United States has to do is understand that terrible regimes such as Iran usually have one virtue, they say exactly what they mean. They mean to destroy Israel, they've said it over and over and over again. They've even referred to Israel as a one-bomb country because they said if we had nuclear weapons, all the Jews are there on the, on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. Yeah. They've been completely candid. Yeah, and you know,
1: look, and 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 you'd think that the one place the president of the United States could make some inroads is with quote-unquote Arab allies, and the Arab allies won't even meet with him. So there you go. It's- uh, wild. What was it, Maya Angelou, who said when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time? That's right. It's good to see you, sir. Take Thank care. you very much. Coming up next, parents share some of the toughest lessons they ever tried to pull on their kids. Some spectacular failures. Chris Cuomo on how tough love is just not the same anymore.
3: You have got your whole life to work and only one chance to learn.
4: I told them to get jobs, Hal.
3: The value of hard work.
1: We are watching the world realign before our eyes. Uh, the events now over the next 48 hours have the potential to rewrite history in a way that hasn't happened since 1979. Pictures from Amman Jordan in Beirut, where in the middle of the night there are mass quote-unquote protests outside of American embassies. Hezbollah, which controls Lebanon, meaning Beirut, uh, says they will have an unprecedented day of rage tomorrow. There are fires right now burning outside of the embassy in Beirut. It's worth taking Hezbollah at their word. They are, after all, the ones who killed more than 200 U.S. Marines in Beirut. Uh, Things are dangerous as President Biden flies to Israel to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu. Chris Cuomo uh, is in with us. Uh, Chris, this seems as though when I said that we'd be lucky to get out of this as just Gaza versus Israel, we'd be lucky That was pretty optimistic.
2: Uh, Look, you know, as the experts will tell you, this is a fluid situation. Uh, Hezbollah has a lot more to lose than Hamas. It's one thing to have outrage on the streets. It's another thing uh, to be throwing or firing bombs across the border, which Hezbollah is doing. It's another thing uh, to be all the way in as the largest non-state standing force in the region, which is what Hezbollah has. Uh, It is not... Hamas, as people are getting their education here. And yet, I think that uh, it is still very unclear about how this expands. I think it's unclear as to whether or not Israel is going to have uh, a ground invasion in earnest. Why? Well, because they've been very slow to do that in the past. Uh, Why? Because Bibi Netanyahu, uh, for the tough talk, and he is a tough guy, is very pragmatic about it. Uh, the American president going there is a very risky move. You know, I hear you making the comparisons uh, to 1979. It is a very different dynamic. That was Iran, or really a student group uh, in Iran that was a radicalized group, taking over a U.S. embassy and uh, really punching America in the face. Uh, we're not there right now with this situation. Could we be? Yes. But yeah. I, I think there's a lot to go here. A lot to oh, go. Oh, no,
1: there's, there's a long way to go, but I guess... When I was there, um, I remember when the Israelis said we felt like we were on our own because Barack Obama had drawn the red line in Syria. Assad crossed it and used chemical weapons. Uh, Then he gave a speech and said, I'm not ordering military intervention. And the Israelis felt like they were on their own. America is uh, the world is safer when America is at its strongest. And I I just, it never even occurred to me that the king of Egypt and the the king of uh, Jordan and the president of Egypt would cancel a meeting with the president of the United States and say, I don't want to see you. It just, it, it blows my mind. Uh, it certainly
2: goes to what preparation there was uh, for this and what kind of situation the president of the United States created for himself. But look, you know, any student of history will tell you it, it is not unusual uh, for America's uh, relationships in this part of the world to be dicey. Uh, you know, you could talk to past leaders of Pakistan. They felt betrayed. Um, the reason the Taliban specifically targeted us wasn't just that America was messing in Afghanistan, but they felt that America was to blame for the suffrage in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it is not unusual for Israel to be a little sideways with America in terms of how it's playing with other uh, people in the region. So. You know, a degree of disappointment is going to be a function of self-interest. That is not as frightful to me as the fact that I don't know what the president is Hmm. walking into right now. I'm not Uh, surprised uh, 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 that he's getting a cold shoulder. Uh, This is not like he was going to visit them on the eve of us going to war with Iraq, okay, or going into Afghanistan to root out terror groups. Israel is the great dividing line in the region, Um, and... Hmm. You are right to be worried about what happens next because I do not think we know.
1: Yeah, I think, I think we, can all, we can all agree we definitely don't know what, what's going to happen next. Uh, Chris, I know you got a lot on it coming up here. We'll let you go. Um, the Marine Corps uh, is the only branch of the U.S. military to have met its recruiting goals. The critics, though, say it is not diverse enough. There are U.S. Marines right now off the coast of Israel. Would the diversity enthusiasts have them come back because they're not diverse enough? Tackle that when we come back.
2: When there are battles to win for America's future, there is one constant. Marines.
1: And once again... Marines will be first on the ground in Israel if President Biden orders an evacuation of the embassy or Americans as the war intensifies. But quite literally, the Marines, like every other branch of the military, is doing more with less as the world gets more dangerous. Problems with the F-35 fighter jets, Navy ships they can't get out to sea. Janet Yellen told Sky News that the U.S. can absolutely not afford to support two wars. Even new statistics show that nearly 70 percent of active service members are overweight. But, as we have reported, there are real problems to focus on. Those are the problems. 75 years after the military was desegregated, way ahead of most of American society, the Marines are being criticized, wait for it, for lack of diversity. From the Washington Post, behind closed doors, Marines struggle with a glaring diversity problem. The number of black Marines who fly fighter jets has fallen. Critics say the service appears unwilling to take aggressive steps that could level the playing field. Here now, retired Colonel of the U.S. Marine Corps, Brendan Kearney. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. What do you make of the report?
5: Well, Leland, quite frankly, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, to tell you the truth, I, I've served with black officers in the United States Marine Corps, officers from all different racial backgrounds. Uh, You name it, I've served them. I've known Lieutenant General Frank Peterson. He's been passed away for a number of years. uh, Retired three-star black uh, jet fighter pilot. And Chuck Bolden, uh, who did superb service for the Marine Corps. I believe retired as a major and uh, head of NASA, of all things. So, incredibly talented men uh, and women who've contributed greatly. And uh, we didn't go out of our way to recruit them. We don't go out of our way to recruit anybody. You join, you volunteer. That's what Marines have always been about.
1: I got about 30 seconds. Why do you think at a time when, frankly, the, the lethality and uh, primacy of the U.S. military is in serious question, this is the focus?
5: <laughs> what a great question, Uh Uh, Sincerely, uh, uh, why this is focus, it's nonsense. Uh, It's people who don't understand what's going on that are trying to raise issues that are not issues. And, uh, you know, it's a distraction, an unnecessary distraction when you're about to put potentially put Marines, sailors, soldiers, airmen uh, in harm's way. Uh,
1: And you want the most talented Seems as though we, we lost the colonel's signal. Uh, I think he would agree that Male the fact now women. that there are U.S. Marines now off the coast of Beirut, a place where Hezbollah killed 200-plus Marines in the 1980s, uh, has special meaning to what we might see over the next couple of days.
6: Before we go... Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement.